Hey, welcome to the Juice Bar Experts podcast, where we are going to give you tips, tools, strategies for launching a new juice bar or scaling and increasing the profitability and efficiency in your existing juice bar. I'm your host, Andrew McFarlane. For the last 10 years, I've been in the juice bar business, running my own juice bars, as well as helping hundreds of entrepreneurs all around the world launch successful juice businesses. So without further ado, let's get into it. I am very excited to share this episode with you all. In this episode, I interview Dr. Andrea Maxim, who is one of Southern Ontario's leading naturopathic doctors and the creator of the GAT protocol. It's a movement helping people move towards maximizing their gut health, maximizing their adrenal and hormonal rhythms, maximizing their thyroid, and creating a long-lasting health foundation. Dr. Andrea has been a naturopath for 10 years and has seen a lot. She knows a lot in this conversation. We talk about everything from how to approach your customers when it comes to the conversation of health. We talk about really some powerful tips and tools that you can utilize as an entrepreneur. And we talk about how to approach other health practitioners that you might want to collaborate with in your local environment to support your juice business as well as to support their businesses and so much more. You guys are going to love this one. So enjoy. Welcome to this episode. I am so excited you guys are with us. I am here today. We have a very special guest, Andrea Maxim, who is a naturopathic doctor who has been supporting people with a whole myriad of issues and has a lot of insight that I I'm really excited for you guys to be exposed to. So um, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Oh, my pleasure. I can't wait to dive into our conversation today. The first thing that I actually wanted to talk about was kind of your journey into getting into doing what you're doing. I think that, and I don't know, maybe I, I can speak for myself and I don't know if I speak for all of our listeners, but I, I have this kind of envy and jealousy of, of naturopathic doctors because I feel like I'm sort of the unaccredited person who's been giving people somewhat, you know, health advice from my personal experience without uh, spending years and years going very uh, deep into the science of it all. So what was your inspiration and, and why did you take this path as opposed to what we would say is like, quote unquote, conventional medicine path? Uh, you know what? A lot of people have some sort of um, journey towards a naturopathic doctor, and that's why they chose it. For me, um, my destiny was to become a doctor, and I knew that from the age of five. I still remember wow. like jumping off of the school bus and running into my mom's arms and saying, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a doctor. And that was just my lot in life. And I didn't, I didn't realize that naturopathy was an option until I was in my fifth year of university. Um, I very quickly realized that conventional medicine was not my jam. I wasn't willing to compete for it. I didn't really enjoy the model of it, but I didn't know what else there was because back then, this is like 20 years ago, naturopathy was still just like woo woo granola eating hippies, like that sort of, um, Mm. that sort of stereotype. So anyways, right. I Googled all of the things that I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn acupuncture and botanical medicine, and I wanted to interact with my patients and, and spend time getting to know them. And in a Google search, naturopathy popped up. And it was just one of those instances in life where everything changes and you feel that this was your path. And that's what it was for me. So um, I uh, applied to one school in Toronto, got in, went through all the hoops, got my degree, and very quickly realized that I have the privilege of being a naturopathic doctor, but I am intuitively and have to be an entrepreneur first. And mm. that was a huge transition piece. Everything else was easy. Everything else was streamlined, but I wasn't prepared for the entrepreneurial journey, because all I wanted to do was help heal people. So that's why I'm like so thrilled to be talking to your audience, because it, it is very different being health minded and then also jumping into that business mindset. The two don't always see eye to eye. 
but that's why it's so important for us to be having this conversation. Yes. And I think it's so important because I'm oftentimes telling uh, our audience that your passion is great and I love your passion and, and, and kind of speaking to the general broader sentiment of people really wanting to help. But the best way we can help is by having a thriving business because you're not serving anybody if people don't know that you exist. And so, right. and, and, and the skills in some ways are so different, right? Having passion, people will feel it when you can get in front of others, but the skill set of being an entrepreneur is a totally different skill set to the skill set of, in your case, being a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And in other people's cases, selling juice. And so I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up to, to, to kind of go back to what you said too, I'm really curious what, you know, what turned you off of the, cause you were in school, you were going down a certain pathway. Yeah. What, what was the thing that kind of got to you that you said, you know what, this just isn't for me anymore. You know what? It wasn't that I had a dislike for conventional medicine. It wasn't that something happened to me that turned me off. I think it's just one of those moments in life where if it comes easily, you go down that path. If there's resistance or you realize very quickly that it isn't worth it for you to put in the effort, then you just listen to that. And I've always been very intuitive and just like let mm. the universe kind of guide me. And it was my first month in residence in my first year. And I had like all of these kids that wanted to be medical doctors as well. We all went into uh, the sciences for the same reason. And when I heard about the effort that it took to um, you know, write your MCAT and then how much schooling it was and blah, blah, blah. For some reason, that light bulb just went out instantaneously for me in that first month. Right. And I didn't give up on the journey, but I just knew that that path wasn't right for me. And, and just listening intuitively to that just said, okay, we're not going to go down that path, but we're going to keep our options open. And then it was five years later that everything fell into my lap perfectly. So that's, that was really the, the turning point for me. That's powerful. I also think that, you, that there is something in the correlation of the personality type of people who do things that are kind of counterculture, right? And I think that now, um, you know, naturopathic medicine is becoming more in vogue and the same thing with juicing and, and, but for me, you know, I, I started my business over 10 years ago, right? When I changed my diet and I stopped eating meat and stopped eating dairy, my mom was devastated and she thought that I was going to die, right? She would like, she would <laughs> right. about it. Yeah. And this is, you know, cause at that time there was not even terminology around it. People weren't using terms like plant-based and now it's becoming more common knowledge. And I think the same thing, like, do you find that people are, and I don't know how, how long have you been a, a naturopath? 10 years. Right. And do you see the, have you seen a pattern? Have you seen people become more receptive to it? Do you find that there are people that are kind of outside of that, what we, what you call kind of like woo woo hippie community that are now coming and having even more respect for the things that you're doing? I would say, yes, it is way easier to sell what it is that I'm offering to people more and more people are waking up to alternative medicine and because they're now being bombarded by health related things that are things that they can do at home on their own. I think people are now searching out experts who can guide them to whatever journey it is that they're looking for. Now, what I will also say as a counterbalance to that is while naturopathy is becoming a little bit more mainstream, health coaching online, nutritionists online, online courses, online programs, we're also now competing against those people. So um, I would say that the health industry in general has exploded. And now it's people choosing, do they want to go with a medical expert? Do they want to go with someone who has all of my knowledge just without the degree? And this is where the messaging piece comes in. So regardless of my designation, nation, I'm still just a cog in the wheels that help someone get to where they want to go. Um, but I wouldn't say that naturopathic doctors have any sort of extra leverage over a nutritionist or over a personal trainer or over a health coach or over a life coach. I feel like we're still at the same level as them, despite the fact that our education is vastly different versus 
medical doctors are still on their own pillar. They still have their own like level of authority, but that's just because of indoctrination over like a century, right? So that indoctrination is starting to break down and they're starting to see now balances between both sides. Um, but I still wouldn't say that naturopathic doctors are like winning by any by any way, shape or form. In fact, if I could do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have gone through um, medical school and and spent all of that money now that the internet is such a valid place to right. start a business or right. just the education that is out there and that exists. You don't need to be in school for four years to get the same level of knowledge that I have. So that is now our new issue is trying to not get lost in amongst all of the health people that we still want to keep our profession very much mainstream and very much professional. Yeah. I think that education as a whole is changing, right? I, I don't mm -hmm. think honestly call, I, I think, I think maybe 10% or 20% of colleges in the way that we know them will still exist in five to 10 years. I think that most of them are going to just be gone um, because in the real world, it's not about the degree you have. It's about how effective you are in what you do. Right. And so exactly. in, in one ways in hearing what you're sharing, I do believe that there are, there's obviously within every sector and title that an individual has, whether you're a health coach or you're a acupuncturist, there is a full spectrum of degrees of, of people and, and their individual effectiveness. And I think that from my standpoint, there might be an, a, more of an obscure differentiation and it depends on the consumer, right? Like for me, I feel like I have more of a, a, a deeper reverence for people who are naturopaths than let's say a health coach, because I know the difference of what that right. the individuals go through, whereas the general populace might not. They don't know um, what a naturopath does versus what an acupuncturist does versus what mm -hmm. a nutritionist will do versus a dietitian. I mean, you'd have to know a lot to even know what the difference is. And I think um, to what you've kind of been really pointing to and alluding to is that um, there's just such a deep need to be able to know how to differentiate, differentiate yourself in the marketplace and find creative yeah. ways to communicate with people and, and connect with them and figure out what their kind of, um, yeah, common problems are that you can solve. Because my feeling is doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a business owner or whether you're a doctor, we all just solve problems and we will yeah. be in, uh, the demand for our product or service will be, uh, proportionate to the depth of and the pain of the problem that we actually solve. That's it, right? Our our business, our juice bar, our gym, our license, it's just a vehicle and people don't care what they need to drive or ride or take to get to where they want to go. And that's the most important piece that a lot of people, especially in my profession, and I think a lot of people that get into the healthcare industry, this is where they start to drown because they're using terminology, they're using language, they're using things that our bubble understands, but the rest of the population doesn't. And we're trying to help the population, not our bubble. And so that's such an important piece for us to always be remembering is you know, in the healthcare speak, we can be using terms like gluten-free, dairy-free, um, whatever, non-GMO, blah, blah, blah. And, and we get it in our circles, we get it. And we're like, I don't understand why people don't know this, but you have to become so humble and you have to become so broken down to where your audience is and reflect on, okay, they are nowhere near where we are and how can I communicate to them that I am the vehicle that will help them get to where they want to go, or I'm a piece of their puzzle that they need. And that mm -hmm. is, that's going to make or break your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find that the, the terminology and the kind of lex lexicon of people in these very select groups, it, it helps and it hurts you, right? It helps you to the degree when the people who are the gluten-free plant-based, you know, individuals are trying to find you that they can find you but then the people mm -hmm. who aren't don't feel like they're in that group they um they feel isolated and they feel they feel ostracized and so it's all about building a bridge i find where you can you can be inclusive but you can also speak to the people who you're meant to speak to and so um 
have you found that there's, a, have you found any like kind of specific tools or techniques to kind of, not to say to convert the unconverted, but to communicate mm-hmm. with a greater sense of, of grace and ease and connection with people who you feel like are either on the fence or, or, you know, are far away from the fence, just looking at it? Yeah. So one of the pillars of the maximized practitioner method that I created is foundational experience. And this can be translated across any business owner. Um, And the foundational experience is finding that the top 100 people that you want to be attracting into your business. Now to get there, you probably have to get in front of a thousand people, maybe even more. Mm. So Mm. my, my recommendation is Like, don't worry about filling out the avatar sheet. Like nobody cares if you filled out a PDF of who you ideally would like to work with. That may not be the person who your business is going to attract. And I think that that is such an old way of setting things up because that's what we all do, right? You sign up with an online course, you sign up with a business mentor and they all say, you know, write down your ideal client avatar. And, and if you write it, then they will come like that's kind of the <laughs> the idea. But I take a firm stance against that where I say you need to bust your ass in that first like three to five years to get in front of as many humans as you can. And what that will give you is that will give you direct marketing insight into what are the questions that these people are asking? Who are the people, who are the groups of people that I'm connecting with the most? And it may not be the people that you thought that it would be. Who, like, what is the language that they are using? How are they dressing? How are they talking? Where do they live? Like getting out there and talking to these people and getting that knowledge firsthand is what is going to create a business that is unstoppable. And once you get that knowledge, once you get their language, you then speak to people that are just like them. And that's how you get that conversion happening. So Mm. I like the differentiation between me and my colleagues is that I have spoken to so many people that I'm intuitively listening every time someone talks to me what is the exact way that they are saying their health concerns? What are the exact questions and words that they are using? And I put that into my mental bank. And then I start using that in my messaging when I go on social media, when I do webinars, when I do um, live seminars, like merging that online offline marketing style. And, and I, I can firmly say that now I can convert just about anybody in like five sentences or less because I took the time to build up that foundational experience. And I think so often practitioners are running the race before they even know the steps. So they're just like, well, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to use the language that I want to use. And I'm going to talk the way that I want to talk. And they don't attract anybody because that's not what your audience needs to hear from you. You know, you've done it when you, the person comes back and says, oh my God, like you said that better than I ever could have, or you are in my Mm. head or you are speaking directly to me. Once you start getting those responses, you are on to something and you got to keep rolling with that. Um, But I just really encourage everybody who's listening is not to put yourself into a box prematurely because you may have intended to attract like gym, gym folk or gluten free eaters or whatever. But the people that need you are the ones that don't understand that language. They they're afraid to go to the gym. They just want to have like a, a stepping stone before those levels. And if you're not talking to them, you've now lost out on your target audience. So you have to start with just being open and put in the legwork and jotting things down. Like I will literally jot down phrases that people say that I think are absolute Mm. gold and reuse those in my marketing. And that's where it starts. And then it becomes really easy after that, because now you know exactly how to talk to your people. I love that you've become such an entrepreneur in this process, Uh because, you know, in this whole conversation, obviously, you have a whole kind of uh, background, you know, around naturopathy, but you've seen it. And I can feel through your experience how, how important it is to become someone who knows about sales, knows about marketing, knows about like customers. These are all those things that are so critical. And so um, people often ask me, and I did a whole podcast episode about this kind of a short one, but people oftentimes ask me, they say, you know, Andrew, do I need to 
go to nutrition school before I start a juice bar? Do I need to go become a health coach? And I'm like, do not waste your time because mm -hmm. all the information's out there and you'll learn it as you need to know it. But the skill set of being an entrepreneur is so much more important to your success than everything you're going to learn about health, which is why serial entrepreneurs who get into this business, who know nothing about health, do better than the people who have been juicing and plant-based and all that their entire lives, because that's not what your customers need. And they don't care, you know, what you know or don't know to a certain degree, right? Like there, it's not to say that it isn't beneficial to them and it can't be, but that's not the thing that's going to make your business make money. Exactly. I mean, I bet by going through the schooling, you're going to then fall into the antiquated way that this, that they're teaching business. And it just isn't up to date. It's not what people are looking for right now. And that's what I even say to my practitioners that I work with is that you have been misled for the past four years. And now I have to break you down and build you up again. So staying away from some sort of regimented schooling, I think is a great piece of advice. Now, not everyone is self-taught or can self-learn and that's also okay. But the, the other big step that we need to talk about is the difference between knowledge and knowing. And that's what one of my mentors tells me all the time is knowledge is what you're reading, like the blogs, the podcasts, the books, whatever. But knowing is the actual doing of that knowledge. Just like you can read about riding a bike, but if you don't actually ride a bike, you're never going to get the skills to know how to ride a bike. And it's the same with business. And so here's a, a bit of a tangent that we can go down. But entrepreneurship is all about um, being humble and dropping your ego all the time. And that's a mm. really hard thing for a lot of us to do because it requires personal growth and introspection and allowing failures to happen and setting yourself up for possible challenges. But the faster you can get there where you just, again, say, I'm going to show up. I don't care if I flub. I don't care if I say the wrong things, but I'm going to show up and serve every single day and start developing that knowing instead of just the knowledge, you're also going to win. And there's not yeah. a lot of people that when they get into entrepreneurship are willing to go through that journey. And it's when you do that, when you do that personal work that you just be, you resonate this energy on a totally different level. And you're showing up more about giving than you are about feeling good about yourself. And that's mm -hmm. the turning point to your business as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I sometimes, cause I, I also speak to a lot of people and I, um, echo the sentiment that it's really about doing the research and connecting and putting your pulse on the actual community and what people are saying and what they're feeling. Um, and I, in all the conversations that I have with new entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, I've started to really learn about the personality types that I find are the most successful. And there are some people who will come to me and they have this level of, maybe I'll call it arrogance where they are like, yeah, I don't need you to tell me this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it this way. They're making a lot of assumptions. And it's like, I can't even offer you any value right. because you are so convinced as to how the business is going to run. And they tell me, well, this is my problem. I just need you to help me with this, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'm, and, and it's scary to me because I can see the brick wall that they're going to run into, mm -hmm. right? Because they're making a lot of really poor core assumptions about the way the business is going to go. They're making yeah. a lot of poor core assumptions about, you know, who they are within it, what the market's like, how much it's going to cost them. There's just a lot of things they don't, they don't realize. And so I'm really glad that you said that. Um, the other thing for me too, is probably something I had to learn. I, I, in the beginning, I was very humbled. You know, I started my first business when I was 16, but I didn't really graduate into being an entrepreneur until I had employees and payroll and overhead and $20,000 worth of, of liabilities that I needed to pay every month. And I needed to figure out how I was going to pay it, that I started to really feel the intensity of, of needing to get things right. And so, um, so yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. And I would challenge you on that last statement is you were an entrepreneur at the age of 16, but you didn't step up as the CEO of your business until you yeah. started hiring and doing payroll and all the upper level business things. So don't cut yourself short because we all have like a lot of us, just like you said, there was entrepreneurial spirit within us before we even knew what that meant. And that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're not an entrepreneur, but there's a huge difference between being 
um, like what we say, there's a difference between being a practitioner and a CEO of your business. There's the difference between being an employee of your business and being like the owner of your business. And that jump, while it seems so trivial, is a huge one. And that requires a lot of time. I feel like I feel like there is that definitely, like you said, there is being, there's someone who is entrepreneurial and I was definitely entrepreneurial, but I wasn't an entrepreneur. Like, I feel like you don't even really have a business until your business is making money. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people are like, you know, you've got a business. I'm like, you've got expenses and you have a company that can't turn into that, but you don't really have a business until it's has some, and it might not be money. It might be an audience, but until it has something that it can show that is a positive asset and value that you've created, Otherwise, you have a dream. And that's nice, too, right? It's not to diminish that. But I think it's more about acknowledging the phases that we go through, like a seed isn't a tree, but it has the potential to be a tree, right? Right. So but we have to acknowledge where it's at. And a tree that's bearing fruit is a difference is different than a tree that is in its infancy that is trying to get there. And so we have to honor our phases and know what we need. Because when we are a seed, we need protection when we're a sprout. We're very vulnerable, right? There is just the seasons and the weather and all these things are going to impact us. And so I think it, you know, to, to, to really get to the core of what I feel you're sharing is, is that we have to acknowledge where we're at in the journey and not believe that we're somewhere that we're not and to be humble in the early phases so that we can learn, which, you know, I think I feel the majority of my audience really is and they, they wouldn't be doing research and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos if they didn't think they had things to learn. But I think it's to, to really double down on that, to really mm-hmm. question all of your core assumptions. You know, what do you think? And to go beyond that and to, and to be willing to get uncomfortable. Cause that's the big thing too, is I feel yeah. like people want to do it the way they want to do it. So they tell me, oh, I'm going to start my business this way. And I say, well, you can do that, but here are going to be your challenges and there's other ways to do it, but you have to get rid of your core feeling. Like you want to be an Olympian. Don't tell me you're going to train once a week, right? It just, those right. two things don't go together. So you have to feel like you're either going to give up your vision or you're going to change the way that you're approaching it. But you have to, you, you know, when you're becoming an entrepreneur, yeah, you're going to get uncomfortable. You're stepping into the big leagues. You're going to maybe take on some debt, maybe some liability. You're going to have to approach investors. You're going to, you know, this is just the, the nature of the environment and you, you got to learn these skills. Yeah. And I'm totally stealing your tree analogy, by the way. Go for it. It's all yours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so to, to kind of switch gears slightly, because I know we've been going down this entrepreneurial rabbit hole, which I love and I can talk about forever. But I also want to give the listeners a little bit of insight into, you know, what you're on a health, uh, you know, from your health perspective, you know, what do you feel about juicing, juice cleansing, um, smoothies? Uh, do you because I know I, I've talked to some people who are like so anti-juice. Um, and I wonder, uh, you know, what's your perspective around this? For me, I personally don't really care what people start doing if it gives them that momentum to start making changes to their health. And I firmly believe Mm -hmm. that the more liquefied our nutrients can be, the faster it's going to absorb. So I personally attract a lot of people with digestive problems. So anywhere from Mm -hmm. IBS to Crohn's to ulcerative colitis, celiac, all across the board, SIBO, you name it. And the, the biggest issue that I find is that they're not absorbing their nutrients and it's because they don't have the stomach acid, they don't have the digestive enzymes, they don't have those key machinery building blocks to help their body break down solid food. So with Mm. juicing and um, the uh, smoothies and things like that, it's a great place for me to at least guarantee that these people are getting these nutrients and their body is able to absorb it while we are starting to build up their digestive machinery again. So I'm all about it. Do I think that people need to be doing it, you know, 10 days solid, just juicing all the time? No, but you could say that for just about anything. Is there any Mm. health fad or any health protocol that people should be following forever on a continuous basis? No, but is... Would um, having a couple juices a day provide them with the nutrients that they're most likely not getting from their standard North American diet? Absolutely. Does it provide color into their diet? Guaranteed. Absolutely. So 
Um, I, I think that where people get turned off by juicing is they automatically jump to juice cleanses, which are, you know, three to five juices every single day for a week. And a lot of practitioners don't like that because it's just too intense in some cases. Um, depending on the juice companies, it's high in sugar and because it mm. has to taste good. And we, mm. we're trying to stabilize people's blood sugars. Um, but there's a beautiful way to merge all of these things, but you just have to be smart about it. And the yeah. other thing I will say that will turn people off is the level of intensity to which you are delivering the product, right? So if if the only option is to do like a massive juice cleanse at first for people to know how beneficial juice cleansing is, well, that's going to turn away um, the majority of your audience because they're not ready to go that hardcore. Um, so I think just keeping things fairly easy, allowing that transition to happen and um, making your products highly accessible, meaning you could do deliveries or whatever, is really going to help diminish a lot of, I think, the questioning around juicing. But I personally am all for it. Yeah, I think it's always about uh, assessing the circumstance, right? I think that a lot of times, you know, people used to walk into my juice bar and they would say, what's the healthiest thing that I can have? And right. I said, well, it, like, I don't know what your specific situation is, right? It's, there's no such thing as the healthiest thing. It just depends on you, right? You mm -hmm. might have digestive issues, like you said, or you might have issues with your liver. So you need something different than someone else might need. And mm -hmm. I think the same thing to, you know, juice cleansing. I feel like for me early on in my journey, I did a lot of fasting um, and it was amazing. I felt like it helped clean me out a lot because I came, you know, the first 20 years of my life, just eating fast food, maybe four days out of the week. Right. And so there, there's, you know, there's a bioaccumulation of that toxicity. And now I do it much less. I do it, you know, I don't, I'm actually doing a little bit of a fast right now, but I won't do it as long. You know, I might do a day, two days, three days here and there, because it feels a little bit more like a maintenance, mm -hmm. uh, protocol as opposed to I need to do an overhaul. So you might be someone who has a chronic health issue or something that's even more serious that, that you want to approach it in a way that's a bit more aggressive, but you have to, you have to respond to the circumstance that you're in, as opposed to, I feel like ha too many people have these overarching philosophies that become dogmatic, that aren't a reflection of their situation. So they're not responding to life. They're kind of trying to fit into this box that was never designed for them. And yeah. part of for me being educated and empowered is to really find that intuition to say, what do I need now? And I actually had a thought while you were saying that. And, and I think another great point that I would like to make is that everyone is battling decision fatigue right now. And mm. a big turnoff is if I go into a juice bar or if I go into a smoothie bar and there's like 20 different options, I'm like, frig, I don't even <laughs> Oh, like, just tell, like, I'm looking for some keywords that I know I need today. And that's all that I want. And I think if, if businesses would also approach the less is more type of um, mm. approach, I think that would also help audiences lean into what it is that you're offering. Same with us, like naturopathy, you could say, yep, so I treat digestion, immune, um, we support cancer, we do hormones, we do adrenal fatigue, we do digestion, we do all of these things. And I realized how quickly I can't even market to people because I don't know what to say because I, there's just this ramble of things. So I dumbed it down to our GAT protocol, which is gut adrenal thyroid. That's all I focus on. That's all that I work with. Anybody mm -hmm. that doesn't fall into that, we refer out. And I think in the juice industry and smoothie industry, that's also a really great stance for you to be taking is say, I target or I work with these particular things. And I'm comfortable with saying, if you have X, Y, or Z, I am not the right place for you, but I'll refer you to X, Y, or Z person down the road. And when you start showing up that way, you'd be amazed as to how much better your business becomes because now you're you're putting your stake in the ground you're making it very clear what it is that you want to offer who you want to offer it to what your options are and you're also being very honest about what you're not offering and what you don't want to to deliver or create so i think i think more businesses need to stop adding to the menu and start editing the menu 
and just saying, okay, you want more energy today here? Boom. This is what we've got. You're having struggles with gas or bloating. Boom. Here's like what we got for that. And and just start there, start small and build up because I avoid so many places because I can't make decisions when I walk in. And then the people behind the desk also can't help me because of the same thing you said. Well, I don't know your health history. I don't know what's going on with you, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, okay, <laughs> like now I'm at a loss. So um, that might be also a new strategy that as entrepreneurs, we hate editing ourselves. We hate minimizing what we offer, but it's also what's going to make you successful because it makes everything more clear and simple. You, you're, you're speaking my language. You're saying things that I'm always telling my audience because I went through that phase of being the, you know, you want to be everything to everyone. Cause it's a scary thought to imagine, especially when you have zero customers that you're going to turn someone away because right. they come to you and they say, I, I have this. And you're like, Oh, I don't do that. That's a scary thought. But I yeah. always also want to remind everyone that Facebook, Amazon, two of the largest companies in the world right now, people don't remember that Amazon only sold used books. People forgot oh, about really? that. Yeah. Oh Amazon only sold, sold used books in their, in their first phase. That was the only product they sold. And the reason that they did that is because- Wow, you're blowing my Jeff, mind right now. I'm so sorry. Jeff, <laughs> that, yeah. Jeff Bezos, I listened to an interview with him and he was saying the reason they did that is because he knew he could dominate the singular vertical and acquire the customer base that he needed to then expand outwardly. Facebook, another example, was in one college. Then they only did universities. You couldn't get on Facebook if you right. wanted to in the beginning. And then now it's everybody and their mom, right? Yeah. And so there, there's, it's really what I call the deep and wide strategy. You have to go deep in order to go wide. And just like a tree's roots, right? It has to go deep in order for the tree to grow wide. The biggest food service businesses in the world are product-centric businesses. So these are, if you look at you know, Taco Bell, McDonald's, they only sell hamburgers primarily, right? They're known as being a product-focused business because it's easy also for consumers and customers and community members and clients to know that you dominate a specific space because if everybody's doing everything, then there's, there's no focal point for you yeah. as a brand and as an individual. So what do you specialize in, as they say, especially in the world of, of medicine? Specialists make more money than generalists. You can be a general pediatrician. Are you going to make as much as the brain surgeon or the heart surgeon or the knee surgeon? No, you're not. It's just, it's just specialists always make more money than generalists. And so I love that, that you're sharing this. And the final point I was going to make is just circling back to that foundational experience because every entrepreneur is going to want to start big because they don't have the confidence in their skills, in their knowledge, in what they want their business to stand for. And that's, again, where you have to be willing to do the legwork and, and get out there and really figure out who it is that you're attracting to then become confident comfortable and confident to turn people away because in the beginning nobody has that confidence nobody knows what they're doing and I empathize with that and so it's really you can hear it all you want to but it's not going to resonate until you're actually at that point then it took me probably five six years to get to that level where I was like okay this is where I'm doubling down and this is what I'm doing but I was willing to do the work to get there so for anybody who's kind of new into their business it is hard. And, and that is a very difficult concept to comprehend. But if you lean into, okay, my goal for the first year is just to get in front of everybody that I can go on social media every single day, go to trade shows, do live seminars, do X, Y, or Z. And that's what your mission is. I guarantee by the end of that first year, you will have all of the confidence that you need to then make those hard decisions. Um, but if you don't want to show up, like you said, if you want to show up to your business one day a week, then it's going to take you seven times as long, right? You have yep. to be showing up every single day. Yeah. And I'm curious if you've ever worked, have you ever worked with any juice bars or health cafes, like actual brick and mortar businesses? Uh, yeah, I did collaborate with a yoga slash um, vegan juice bar eatery um, early on. And then we have juice bars all near us. Yeah, because I'm curious, because part of my uh, thought process, you know, when I help our clients and, and support them with building strategic partnerships. I'm always telling them, you know, there's basically an inflow in 
in so many directions. There's basically an inflow and outflow, right? So naturopaths and other health practitioners benefit from collaborating with juice bars because that's where the customers are, right? If you're walking into a juice bar, then you have a certain orientation towards your health. And then juice bars benefit because the naturopath and the health coach and the nutritionist have the information that they need, right? They, 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 they kind of, um, validate the business in a way that supports customers. And so I always feel like these relationships need to be built more often because there's an opportunity for talks. There's also an opportunity for, uh, structured health regimens. So if you have a customer that you are working with, send them to the juice bar and create a protocol for them, right? And then figure out a financial relationship that makes sense because there's that inflow and outflow and we have these relationships in our business. But, um, you know, I guess the question would be like, if a juice bar wanted to approach, I think a lot of juice bar owners, they might be scared or they might feel like it's an awkward relationship because they don't see the mutual benefit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how would you recommend that a brick and mortar store or how did this vegan cafe that you were working with, how did they approach you or how did you approach them? How did that relationship um, come to be? And how would you advise that people approach these, these conversations? Yeah, I'm I'm laughing because the key term you keep saying that I hope people are listening to is relationship. So oftentimes new business owners will walk around the neighborhood once, drop off their business cards or brochures and say, hey, if you want to send people to me, that would be cool. And we never hear from them ever again. (laughs) So one-off hits are not going to build a relationship. And where I would strongly encourage everybody to start is I could even be invited for coffee or invited for free juice. And then they chat my ear off and whatever. And then again, I never hear from them. So my suggestion would be if you genuinely want to build a referral relationship, start sending people to me without me having to ask you. Start sending people to me um, without me having to like have a meeting with you. And then watch me start being like, oh, right, this juice place exists. I keep forgetting about them. I'm going to send now people to you. And if we can start building that relationship early on where we're showing that we're willing to step up, do the work and actually refer to each other, then the relationship becomes very easy. And that's how it was built with that juice bar I was referring to is I knew about them. I started to really know the owner. We built that time together where I would show up and eat at their restaurant. They would reach out to me and ask for advice. And then they created a detox program that they offered and wanted me to collaborate as the naturopath within the the group. So it, it just started to evolve that way, but it never started with a, a flyby. Hey, how's it going? Here's my business card. I'm expecting referrals or vice versa. We just started working together as um, a team at the very beginning without asking, without asking. Right, right. It just happened organically, but it happened because there was multiple touch points. And it's those right. touch points are really important. And also remember that if you were to reach out to a naturopath, we got our own shit going on, right? Like we're dealing with a lot of things on our end, just like vice versa. You're dealing with a lot of things in your business. I'm going to forget about you. And it's not on purpose. And it's not because I don't like you is because I'm just going to forget about all of the um, resources that are around me because I get very tunnel visioned into my own business very quickly. So again, sending people in and saying, hey, I'm from the juice bar and they told me about you is going to make me remember, oh, right, that juice bar is just down the street. I should be sending my people to you. So again, those multiple touch points have to be there and and it just takes time. It it is something you have to cultivate. I also think that there is a uh, there's something around the level of significance of any relationship as well, because I definitely hear what you're saying. And I, I agree with that. And I think that like just like in our life, there are some relationships that just impact us and they they have a significant um, stance and presence in our existence right away. And then some kind of build over time. Um, but ultimately, I feel like having clarity around why is this relationship really going to benefit the person that you're speaking to in a tangible way that you can paint that picture for them as opposed to something which feels for me kind of flighty and elusive, like, Hey, I'm going to send you people, you send me people and we'll just see how it goes. Great. It's like, okay, yeah, if that's, if that happens, that sounds good, but that's just, I'm going to, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. 
Whereas if you mm-hmm. can really paint a picture as like, hey, we've got this many customers, we're doing this many juice cleanses. Like if you came and you gave a talk, I'm sure I could probably get this many people there. They'd at least be willing to try it, right? And then we sure. can, we can, you know, like there's there's things that people will experiment with, but I feel like that clarity of how the relationship is going to unfold and what the benefit might look like to them in tangible terms and even numbers, because once again, naturopaths are entrepreneurs too. And so um, to me, those are the things that are going to, I feel, create a little bit more prominent significance in that dynamic, as well as, like you said, being consistent and nurturing that relationship and being a little bit more forward by giving them value in a tangible way that they can see that then, you know, as our nature is to reciprocate those things. And we will do that because, because of that reason. Um, And the only other thing that's coming to mind that would incentivize me is if someone were to come up to me and say, you know, I really believe in everything that you're doing. I really love what you're doing. I want to only work with a handful of practitioners like you. So I feel more elite and I feel more chosen, right? As opposed Mm. to showing up and being like, yeah, so I'm going around to all the naturopathic doctors in the area. (laughs) No, I'm like, oh, well, no, good luck with the others. I I think if my referral network is like one. So I have one trainer that I, I work in in every area where my patients are. I have one restaurant that I refer people to. I have one um, physiotherapist, again, based on location. So Mm -hmm. if if my referral network becomes too diluted, I also can't refer well. And I would ask for the same reciprocation. Like you may be the only juice bar on the block. So by default, I have to refer to you. Mm -hmm. But I would also like to know that you're not just smattering your content to all of the practitioners hoping one's going to stick, I would like to know that I get some priority with regards to that cross referral. So I think even presenting it that way will make things again, a lot more clear. I will feel more comfortable that I'm not just giving you business and I'm not getting that reciprocation where we become now a direct line to each other. Yes. I I, I like that a lot. And I also think, um, which I probably was alluding to, but I really think that there's a huge opportunity for kind of product integration, like actually kind of like you, you did with this cafe is actually having the naturopaths in your environment, build packages together where if you can sell a cleanse or some sort of program via your juice bar and as part of the service, upsell the service that the naturopath has and understand, you know, what their price points are and everything else, but help make them money right? To validate your business because it helps you as well, because most juice bars don't have a naturopath that can coach them through a cleanse or something else sure. as part of the service. So it actually um, increases the value of the thing that you sell as a company. So I think that there's a lot of benefit there. Mm-hmm. I agree. So um, any, I, I love what we've spoken about so far and you've been very insightful. And I think for, to my delight and, uh, kind of beautiful surprise. I love how much uh, knowledge you've given them as an entrepreneur and, and as well as a, a health practitioner. Are there any final things? I know that you, you run an offline and online business. And I think that, you know, kind of as a final question, is there anything that you might be able to, an insight that you might be able to give people? Cause there are juice bar owners who, and juice business owners who are doing that same thing. And mm-hmm. Is there ways that you found that you can do crossover through products? You know, what are some of the key um, elements that you find have been helpful in, in running a business that sort of operates in both of these realms? Yeah. So I will say between the two, running a brick and mortar is way easier. While people don't think that it is, I do find a brick and mortar is a much easier practice to grow or much easier business to grow. However, if there isn't some sort of online presence, like an online store that you have, or um, like you have the ability for people to buy your smoothies online, and I know you can use like, we have Skip the Dishes and DoorDash and all of that, any sort of integration like that. It doesn't have to be something you create, but there has to be an element of an online store so that as people are kind of looking at you, checking out your website, they also can very quickly see what the products are. And, and that's a huge piece. The online marketing side of things is a beast in and of itself, but it is a necessary oh, yeah. evil. And if you're not willing to create a solid website, if you're not willing to go on social media every single day and tell your story and show people what you're doing, but again, 
don't show people what you're eating or what you're drinking. Like, why should I connect with your juice bar over other people? That's where the story comes into play. Um, Like, you know, pictures of you and your family or the fact that you're outside for a walk is cool, but that doesn't tell me much other than I know what you're doing right now. So Mm -hmm. I, I think learning that online marketing and messaging piece is huge. Um, And then if you are going all in in the online space, again, it is a much harder climb because now you're dipping into the vast ocean that is the internet versus when you just um, control your space on your block and you have Mm. this physical location, it tends to be easier to grow. But the other difference is, is when people are doing their business online, they think that they don't need to spend as much money. (laughs) <laughs> but as a brick and mortar, we become comfortable with, okay, we need a line of credit. We need to take out a loan. We need to have yeah. X, Y, or Z. You need to be adopting that exact same financial mindset into the online space if you want that to grow too. And people think the laptop mm-hmm. lifestyle is cheaper. It's easier. You don't have to have as much um, expense and you have to have almost more. Like you can do it strategically, but you still need to be spending money in that online space and getting yep. comfortable with online marketing. So that again is a whole other rabbit hole that we could absolutely be going down. But I, I really think it's important for people to understand the difference isn't all that different. And online is harder, although it seems more luxurious. I personally find it a much harder um, asset to tap into. Yeah, I, I oftentimes think that your marketing is your rent, right? When you have yeah. an when you have an online business, your marketing is your rent and your marketing is your startup. And so a lot of times people get into this and they think, oh, I'm going to start an online business because it's going to be cheaper. I'm like, it's going to be cheaper if you're unsuccessful. But if you really want to have a business that has presence, you're going to put some, you know, you need to put money towards the branding and the website and the marketing and the videos and, and the content and all of that. So um Thank you so much for taking the time and, and being so gracious with your time and your wisdom and your insight. It's just been, it's been so amazing. Uh, so if people want to find more about what you've been doing, where can they locate you on the interwebs? Mm-hmm. So if anybody wanted to download a free copy of the book that I wrote, Maximized Health, you can absolutely do that at themaximmovement.com. And there's a link right on the homepage to download the book. But if you want to hit me up on Instagram, I'm at Andrea Maxim ND. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And I'm sure um, you've given people so much food for thought and hopefully enlightened a lot of the audience um, to just, yeah, the, the beauty and the pearls of wisdom that you shared. And so until next time, Andrea, thank you for taking the time and enjoy the rest of your day. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode that was sponsored by (laughs) StartAGSpar.com. That's our business. But as you should know, if you don't know, we run a full-scale development company and we're here to support you with everything that you need from wherever you are now to wherever you want to go. So reach out to us there or you can reach me personally at Andrew at StartAGSpar.com. We'd be happy to support you with whatever you need. As you know, we're here to create a world that has more healthy food service businesses than unhealthy cafes, and together we can make this a reality. So reach out to us, and until next time, hope you're happy, hope you're healthy. I'll see you at the next episode. (laughs) 